The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Well, so good to see you here, City Rev. Glad that you have, uh, you've gathered here together. Those of you joining us online, so glad that you have uh, joined us as well and glad that we can come together today. Uh, today is an awesome day for us to celebrate together. It is Mother's Day. Can we just give a shout out to all the moms? Moms, we love you. Um, if you are uh, sitting in a living room watching with your mom right now, just get up out of your chair and go give her a hug or off the couch. Just give her a hug or the mother in your life. Uh, just thank you that, that you're here. We love you moms and glad that we can celebrate this time together. If you are our guest, maybe you were invited here today, glad that you've gathered here with us and we would love to invite you back. We love seeing new faces and we'd love to invite you back here again next week. In fact, we're going to do something special next week. Um, starting today, this week is set aside every week, uh, excuse me, every year, this week is set aside all around the country to honor and celebrate those who are a part of law enforcement, those who serve our community and law enforcement. And so next weekend, we're going to do something special. We're going to set aside uh, a moment in our service where we're going to celebrate and honor our law enforcement and pray over them and thank them. And so here's what we'd ask of you. If you are in law enforcement, what I'd like to ask you to do is next weekend, if you would come where your uniform so we know who you are. We can thank you and honor you. And so next week, we want to, and next weekend, I want you to come in, a, in your uniform. And I know some of you are like, nah, I don't want to wear my uniform. I don't want to do that. That's fine. You're doing it for us so that we can honor and celebrate you. We're grateful for you and the sacrifice that you make every single day putting your life on the line. We're, we're grateful for you. And so we're looking forward to that next weekend. Um, excited to celebrate uh, with, with moms today. Grateful for that opportunity. And so we're going to open up um, in um, a moment with this time of Bible study. And we're going to take a moment to pray and just pray over this time of Bible study. So can we just pray together? Would you bow your head in prayer together? Lord Jesus, we ask that as we open your scripture, we thank you for your, your word and the truth of your word. And as we open up your word today, I, I ask that you would speak to us, each of us individually. That's something you do out of your word. It's, there's a dynamic that it's, it's living and active. Why? Because the living God, this is your word, and over and over you speak through it in our hearts. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that you to go to work in our hearts, in this space, in this room, those watching online. Lord, I pray you would speak to us where you know we need to hear from you. Thank you that we know that you, you care about what we're walking through and you want to help shepherd us forward and where to go. I ask that you would do that work today in Jesus' name. Amen. So my wife, Rebecca, and I have three children. The oldest is about to turn eight. Uh, the, the youngest just turned two. And, uh, and then the, the middle is about to turn six. And so um, over the last almost eight years now, I've been learning about being a parent and being a dad. And along the way, I've had a couple moments to get a glimpse of what motherhood in particular looks like, not only by watching 
um, Rebecca, and but also like just getting like a little moment myself. So for example, about a little over a week ago, uh, there was a moment where Rebecca uh, was uh, after dinner. It was like bath time and bedtime for the kids. And uh, that whole routine was beginning. And Rebecca's like, hey, you remember I was gonna, we, we talked about I was gonna go for a run. And uh, while you do bath time, you know, are, are you good with that? And uh, on the outside, I said, yes, absolutely, of course, no problem. On the inside, a terror starts to just well up inside of me, okay? And so she goes for a run. That's what she does to kind of decompress. And, and so she went and ran a few miles. And then she'd come back. It'd be about 45 minutes later. And, you know, when she left, the house was peaceful. Peaceful. Everything was in order. Everyone was happy and safe. And just 45 minutes later, uh, later, she comes back home and chaos has happened in this house. And she walks in the door and she sees me there. My eyes are huge. My hair is all askew. Like part of my clothes have been ripped off. She's like, what's happened? And I said, since you've left, okay, this one over here fell down the stairs. This one, the little one threw up in the bath, which terrorized that one. And one of the older ones who was actually in the bath with her at the, at the time. And she looks at me and she says, how about I take the little one for you? And because and, she realized she was all, everyone in the house was terrorized, me most of all, okay? And in that moment, I got just a, a glimpse and a reminder of the great sacrifices of motherhood. And the incredible dynamic as moms that you walk through, that there's so, there's so much hard work, there's so much of yourself that you give, but you do it because of all of the incredible blessing that you gain back from these wonderful little ones in, in our lives. And that's really the dynamic that I want to talk about. I wanted to just zero in on that dynamic because that's true of so many parts of our life. Often we lose in order to gain. We sacrifice because there's something even greater that we get back. And this is a dynamic that is so common in our lives, but I want to just talk about it and zero in on it today because there's things that God wants in our lives, but it requires sacrifice and even loss in order to gain them. But the gains are unimaginable. And sometimes we can be so afraid of the losses that we never get to experience these gains that God intends for us. And I don't want us to miss out. I don't want you to miss out on what God has, all the things that he has envisioned for your life. And so I want to talk about this today. We're going to look at a, something that Jesus said once. Now, before we turn there, I want to warn you, uh, this is one of the edgiest things Jesus said uh, that we have recorded from the eyewitnesses in the, in the Bible. This is one of the edgiest things. And if in your vision of Jesus is that he's this kind, merciful, nice guy um, that is meek and mild and humble. He is all of those things. But there are times when he was strong, he was pointed, and his words, they cut. And he says something very, very strong, very edgy, but it's so powerful and profound that I want us to take a look at it today. Open in your Bible or Bible app with me to Luke chapter 14. We're going to take a look at starting in verse 25. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Maybe you've been reading along in the Bible before and you've come across this passage. And you're like, what in the world did Jesus mean by this? Let's, let's take a look at what he says. Luke 14, 25. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate 
his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wait a minute, that can't possibly be what he said. No, that, that doesn't sound like Jesus. Let's read it again, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoa. Like, what kind of Mother's Day passage is that that you're reading? We're trying to be a happy family today, and that's the passage you pick? Actually, I think this is a, uh, could be one of the greatest Mother's Day passages, and I want to come back around to that in a minute. But I want you to hear what Jesus says. There's some, it, it's, it pushes us, it stretches us what he says. And, and you say, okay, what in the world is going on here? Why would he say something like that? Jesus is u- using a rhetorical strategy called hyperbole. He's exaggerating something to make a point. The reason he needs to make this point is it, it sets up the context. There were crowds that were following him at this point. This is towards the end of his ministry. There are all kinds of crowds that were following him at this point. And the Bible, the eyewitnesses tell us that there were all different reasons that people are following him. Some were the disciples. They were like, they're all in. They've left everything to follow Jesus. But others were like, I just like his teaching. Like, it's just, I like the way it makes me feel. Some just were curious. They'd heard of this famous rabbi. They wanted to hear what he was doing, and they just had a kind of a curiosity. Others liked the circus. They were like, look, there's, this guy apparently does miracles. I want to see. Does someone get healed today? Like, what's happening? There are others that actually the Bible says, the eyewitnesses said, there were some that were in it just for the free food. Jesus had taken a small lunch, and he had spread it out to feed over 5,000 people. It was a miracle. He was using it as a teaching mechanism as to who he was. But it says that people started following him afterwards because they wanted more food. There were people that were just like, hey, man, you get free food when you're around here. There's all different reasons people follow Jesus. And so Jesus sees this crowd, and he turns around, and he says some very, very strong words to this huge crowd about what it meant to follow him. And he says, basically, if you want to follow me, this is what it looks like. It means hating all other relationships and yourself. Now, again, he's using hyperbole. But but you say, how do you know it's hyperbole? And how would the crowd know it was hyperbole? Well, because if they've been following him, they've heard all the other things that he said. And Jesus talked a lot about one of the central messages of what he talked about is love. In fact, every one of these relationships he just talked about, he's also talked about the importance of loving these relationships. He's talked about the importance of honoring your father and your mother. He talks about the groom and the bride and that relationship. In fact, he models that that in his work with us, his people. He, He talks a lot about that. He talks about how important it is to care for children. In fact, when people were trying to shoo the children away, it was Jesus who says, you know, come unto me. You know, let let the children come to me. Don't shoo them away. I want to stop and take time for children. He actually talks about caring for ourselves. He says, um, love your neighbor as yourself. He actually talks about there's a a way that we're supposed to love ourselves and also love love the people around us. So he's talked a lot about love, but then why does he say this statement about hating all the relationships? Well, a couple other things in here. Also, something important to know is we use the word hate a little differently than they do. Not a whole lot differently, but a little bit differently. In our culture, when we talk about hate, it's something that you are antagonistic or you're the enemy of someone. You're kind of aggressively against and may want to, do, may want to hurt or do violence against a particular person or a particular group. 
that would be hateful. But in this biblical context, and sometimes even the way the rabbis would use it, they would use hate a little differently. Hate is a overlooking or disregarding someone. So it's still not positive, but it's not quite the way we use it. But still, Jesus is essentially saying, hey, if you're following me, he's saying, by comparison to your allegiance to me, you will probably come across a moment where it looks like you're overlooking or disregarding other relationships because you're following me. He stretches them. You say, wow, that's a tough saying. There are some sayings of Jesus that were tough. But he actually continues and actually gets tougher. Look what he says next. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, he's used this word disciple twice in these two verses. The ancient uh, Greek word behind the word disciple is the ancient Greek word mathetes. They're translating the word mathetes into disciple. And if City Rev is your church home, or if you're considering making it your church home, I want you to be familiar with this ancient Greek word. The word is mathetes. So I want us all to say this word mathetes out loud. You're like, look, it's still too early in the morning to be saying Greek words. But okay, shake it out. You can do this. I want us to say it together on three. One, two, three. Mathetes. That was pretty good. The word mathetes is the ancient Greek word that's translated as disciple. And we use that ancient, ancient Greek word around here because we're trying to capture the original intensity that Jesus spoke about when he talked about following him. Because you may associate other things with the word Christian, Christ follower, or even disciple. But let's see what Jesus said about being a follower of Christ. So we use this fresh, which really ancient term, mathetes, original term, mathetes, to talk about following Jesus. And again, here's what Jesus says. Look, unless you, uh, unless you put every other relationship aside for the sake of following me, can't be my mathetes. And then he says, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my mathetes. Now, a few chapters earlier in Luke, it says that uh, Jesus had set his face towards Jerusalem. In other words, he had been traveling around preaching, but now he set his face and he's going to travel to Jerusalem. And it's significant. It's kind of this profound turn in the story because when he goes to Jerusalem this time, he's going to die. And he will literally take a cross on his shoulders, walk up a mountain, be nailed to the cross, die on the cross, and then on the third day rise up again from the dead. And once it says he, he set his face towards Jerusalem, he started talking very openly to his disciples. And he said very openly, hey guys, look, I want you to know I'm going to go to Jerusalem. The religious leaders are going to have me arrested. I'm going to be crucified, but on the third day I'm going to rise again from the dead. That, that open. That honest, over and over again. And they looked at him like, I don't, what, what do you mean? That doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? He's saying, no, I'm going to go, I'm be arrested, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to rise again on the third day. He started saying this over and over and over again. And so what he's saying is, hey, if you're going to follow after me, get ready to take up your own cross to follow me. In other words, I'm not asking you to do anything that I myself haven't done. Now, he's going to give two more illustrations, and I want you to see this, two way he illustrates this. Look what he says. Let's pick it up in verse 28. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, 
whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to conquer another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Two very practical, very easy to understand illustrations. I don't know if you remember back in... Um, 2006, 7, 8, 9, if you lived in South Florida back in that time, you remember that was right when the recession hit. And I remember down here, the real estate industry, was, it was going crazy. And right about then, when uh, the um, recession went, economy was affected, I remember seeing buildings and homes that were like half built, but because of the economy, like they could never be finished. And whoever was behind the project didn't have the, the money to finish. And so they were kind of left there as a monument of some kind of financial uh, hurt or even disaster that happened. I don't know if you can remember picturing stuff like that. Jesus uses that as an example. He says, hey, before you go and build a tower, and e even different than like something unexpected economically, but he says just practical wisdom. If you're going to build a house or build a tower, build a building, any kind of construction, you've got to first know that you can afford it. Count the cost early so you don't get halfway through and there's a, a monument to your bad planning there. He says, count the cost. He says, I want you to picture um, a king. He's going out to battle and a scout comes back and says, look, we've got 10,000. They've got 20,000. As a king, you're not like, ah, let's just roll the dice. Ah, let's just see what happens. He says, no, if you know you're that outnumbered, unless you got something up your sleeve that your enemy doesn't know about, no, you just, you, you, yes, it's humiliating, yes, it's humbling, yes, there may be consequences, but, man, you send a peace delegation and say, look, we're, we surrender because we're not going to win this. He says, look, you've you got to count the cost before you do this. Now, why is he saying this? Why does it just seem like Jesus is trying to thin the crowd? Is he just, I mean, why is he saying such hard things? Wouldn't it be easier for Jesus to just be like, oh, this is good. I want a bigger and bigger crowd. Let me just say the easy things. Let me just do the Psalm 23, the, the good shepherd with nice pas pastures and everyone's happy. Why does he just say the happy, easy things? Why is he doing it? Why is he saying such hard things? He's just trying to thin the crowd on purpose. Like, what is Jesus doing here? It's out of compassion. It's out of integrity. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen one of those commercials. It's for some kind of medication. And the first few seconds of the commercial is all about what the medication can do for you. And then the last two-thirds of the commercial is all about what the medication can do to you. You know what I'm talking about? You're watching TV and all of a sudden a commercial comes on. It's like, do you have a skin rash? And you're like, I do have a skin rash. And you like turned up a little bit and it's like, and it shows someone like skipping through a meadow who apparently just lost their skin rash because they took this medication. And then the nicest sounding voice possible says, but be warned because some people have reported that their skin rash actually got worse, took over their whole body and their skin fell off, their organs shut down and they burst into flames. <laughs> and you get to the end and you're like, I like my skin rash. I'll just stick with the skin rash. I've gotten comfortable with it, okay? Why do they share that information? It's actually, they're required to. It's actually being responsible. You need to know there are risks involved. What Jesus is doing is he's saying, look, if you're going to follow me, he looks at this crowd with compassion. 
If you are going to follow me, I want you to know this is the path for following me. So count the cost. It's integrity that's leading him to do this. It's mercy. He's very clear about it. Watch what he says. Let's wrap up this teaching of uh, his teachings. What does he say? Um, Very straightforward, verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my mathetes, my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He ends with one last illustration about salt. Now, they use salt for three different things, and he references all the uses here. It was a flavoring, like we use. It was also a preservative. They didn't have refrigeration, so they used salt to preserve things. And it was also a fertilizer. And so he says, so we, salt is so important. It's important because it's salty. If salt becomes not salty, what good is it? What good is sugar if it's not sweet? What good is bleach if it doesn't inf- disinfect? What good is steel if it's not strong? It's like the very essence of why it's there. If it loses that essence, it's not good anymore. In other words, he's saying, let me tell you the fundamental essence of being a following Jesus, the fundamental essence of being a Christian. If if salt has saltiness, this is what a, a Christian, it's their Christianness. This is a follower of Jesus. This is the Jesusness of following me. He says, ultimately, you're following a guy who the most memorable central part of who he is is, I am called to sacrifice my life for a world that my father loves. If, that, if you want to follow me, that's who I am. If you want to follow me, then take up your cross. If that's what you want to do, then be, be prepared. You're going to have to renounce all that you have, all that you are. That means look at your life. He says, look at every part of your life, your, your identity, your hopes, your dreams, your career, your finances, your resources, your plans, your sexuality, your your friendships, your relationships. Take all parts of your life and you're gonna turn it over to me, Jesus says. You're gonna renounce it and you're gonna say, God, all of this is yours. How do you want me to use every single part of this life? He says, that's what it means. He says, there's gonna be times where it's gonna put friction between you and other parts of your life, even your very own life and other relationships. But to follow Jesus fundamentally means that Jesus is first and everything else is surrendered to him. And he's saying, if you're going to follow after me, you're following in my footsteps, there's going to be a cost involved. There's going to be a loss. So count the cost. But now here's the thing. If Jesus took the cross, that wasn't the end of the story, was it? He died and he rose again. So yes, there's going to be a cost. I mean, but Jesus is not being doom and gloom here. There's more that those who follow after him will discover that he also rises again. So why would someone be willing to lose so much, lose everything, really, is what he's asking us to do. Why would he ask us to lose everything to follow Jesus? Because we gain so much more. 
Here's what Jesus put it, how he put it earlier in Luke, right after he started talking about fixing his eyes towards Jerusalem. He says, he says, what does it matter if you gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? He says, he who tries to save his life will lose it, but he who gives his life for me will find it. He put it like this one place. He's like, following me is like someone walking through an abandoned field, tripping over a box, looking around, looking down, unearthing what turns out to be a treasure chest, opening up to an unimaginable treasure, closes it, covers it with dirt again, then tells no one, sells everything they own so they can buy the field with the treasure in it. They lose something to gain so much more. That's what he's saying. You're giving everything up to follow me because you know and believe that you're following me. You'll gain so much more. That's what he's saying. We lose in order to gain. Now, this is a dynamic that we know all losing to gain. Man, we know that in our life. In fact, that's why I think this passage is so good for, for mothers because moms, think of all that you've lost in order to gain these wonderful blessings of these children in your life. Think about the sacrifice that you've made. The, the cost to your bodies, to your time. Your time is no longer your own. The sleep, and not just when they're babies, even more when they're teenagers. <laughs> I got an amen back there. The cost to your time, to your sleep, to your bodies, the cost to your careers. Your career shifted. For some of you, you surrendered your whole career. The cost over so many ways, it costs something of yourself, but you're willing to do it for the gain. And yes, there's ups and downs, but you're willing to do it ultimately for the gain of these precious little ones that are a gift in your life. See, that dynamic of losing to gain, that is a dynamic that is so present in all of life. I mean, think not just about parenthood, but think about romantic love. There comes a point in time when you're dating that all of a sudden you decide to become exclusive. And now you, you're like, okay, I'm not going to date anyone else. I'm just dating this person. But what have you done? You have restricted yourself. You've lost the opportunity to date other people. Why? Because you want to gain so much more out of this relationship. And then ultimately, you covenant, you make that permanent in your covenant of marriage. It's same with a dating relationship. It's another, how about our health? We have to, if we want to gain greater health, if there's a vision that we have for how we want our bodies to look, or how we want our bodies to feel, we have to lose something to gain that. If we want to get up early to work out, we have to lose extra sleep, or we have to lose eating the things that we want to, in order to gain things that we want. You have to lose to gain with your health. How about financially? If we want to have financial stability and financial health or even greater financial freedom later, we have to lose the joy of spending it on the things we want now to save it for later. Or how about investing? We don't think of investing as losing something now. Why? Because it, but it's, we're losing control of it now. We're spending it on something else. We're spending it in order to gain later. Financial investing is losing now for gains later. That's what, how we handle finances. How about in your career? There are some people that after high school, they jump right into a career and they lose maybe some of the, the hanging out with friends that they could. They lose something socially because they're jumping in and working hard because they have a goal for their career. Others leave high school and um, when they, instead of jumping right into work, they, they jump into school. 
And so they lose an opportunity to gain right away. They actually spend even more money. Instead of gaining money, they're spending money to go to school. Why? Because down the road, they have a gain from a fulfilling career that they, that they envision for themselves that they want or a lucrative career that they want. And so we know this principle, it's wired into the world, the universe. God wired it into the universe that we lose in order to gain. Why did God do that? Why did he do it like that? Man, I wish he could have like made it like you gain to gain. Like, I wish, like, I could eat ice cream at 10 p.m. every night and actually, like, then get ripped. Like, I wish that was the secret to getting ripped. Just eat, like, a large fry on the way home from work every day, and then I just, I feel great about myself. Like, why can't it be gain to gain? That's not how he wired the universe. We have to lose in order to gain. Why? Because it takes faith. Every one of those categories we just talked about there's a gain in the future we don't have right in front of us, but in faith, maybe a trainer told us, someone we look up to advised us, a financial coach, a career advisor, they told us of a gain in the future we would get, and so we're willing to sacrifice what's right in front of us to gain something that's not here yet. That's faith. Familiar with this, we use this principle in our lives, you lose to gain, all of us do in one way or another. But let me ask you this, who's your faith really in? Because we employ the lose to gain principle because we know that's survival. I mean, we, we know that that's what you have to do. But do we do that just because that's conventional wisdom or because we have faith in God? Because sometimes we're willing to lose to gain in almost every area of our life until it comes into the spiritual side of our life. And then when it comes into that spiritual realm, we're just wanting it to be easy. God, why isn't it easier? But if our faith is in God, then we're willing to lose with the hope of gain even when it's not conventional wisdom. Let's go back through those categories, the romantic side of your life. Say, so look, I'd love to be married one day. Well, what God's asking you to do is, within that, many things that the world thinks is crazy. It's telling us, God tells us how he wants to handle our sexuality. He wants us to abstain until we're in the covenant of marriage, the promise of marriage. And so like, that's crazy. In fact, if I did that, I'd never find a spouse. If I didn't do certain things, act a certain way, dress a certain way, if I didn't do those things, I'd actually never find a spouse. And that's my, my dream. But here's the thing. God's saying, you lose to gain when it aligns with conventional wisdom. But how about losing to gain the vision I have for a healthy sexual relationship with the spouse that I've got waiting for you? How about put your faith in God in order to lose to gain. How about our health? There are some physical habits and some things that, that the world just kind of laughs off or shrugs its shoulders at, but God says, no, I don't want you to be physically mastered by anything. There's, there's addictions maybe in your life or there's things in your life. And he's like, no, I want you to get rid of that because I want you to lose in order to gain. He said, that's what I want for you. Do we have the faith in him to trust that we can lose presently in order to gain long-term? How about with our, in our finances? 
What's interesting is there's the same person often that's willing to lose to gain by conventional wisdom. They're very meticulous in saving along the way because they're saving for the future. And they're very thoughtful in how they invest. And they're willing to take risk and invest now so that they can get gains later. But when God says, okay, but I'm also calling you to faith in me, not just faith in conventional wisdom. I'm calling you to faith in me. And here's what God is saying to us. He's saying, look, if you want to have a healthy relationship with your stuff and your finances, be a person of generosity. So can we have, we lose to gain by conventional wisdom and our faith in conventional wisdom, but do we lose to gain because we have that kind of faith in God and what God calls us to do? Because by the way, again, if you were around in the, in the early 2000s, you know that conventional wisdom sometimes falls apart on you. And there's only one who actually is really the provider that you can bank on. So, Lose to gain by your faith in him. How about your career? So often it's the same person that's working so hard and they're losing to gain for their career. They've sacrificed so much. They've sacrificed friendships and hobbies and maybe even made sacrifices in their family relationships. And then it comes a point in their career where their boss and their company and their industry and their coworkers are all expecting them to do something that is immoral or unethical or that's lying or cheating or is just kind of fudging the numbers or in general just lacks integrity. And now they've got to decide, are they going to, are they going to, They've worked so hard for this career. Are, are they going to do conventional wisdom? Or are they going to have faith in what God says and say, God, I've renounced every part of me. So my career, it's in your hands. I'm going to do the right thing right now and just trust that you're going to do what you want with my career. Because that's God's principle, lose to gain. What is he calling us to do, you to do in your life? See, when God's calling us to be a mathetase, that's an all-or-nothing situation. In 2014, we, we introduced this word to our church culture. We introduced this word mathetase, and we read some of these types of passages where it talks about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does original mathetase mean? It's all or nothing. We're willing to lose because we, we understand that in, in Jesus, we gain everything. And we're, we're losing control over what we gain. But man, if you want to surrender, if you want to decide, should you decide what gains you get out of your life? Or should the one who speaks galaxies into existence, who says, they, he, says he loves you and he cares for you and works all things for good, let him decide the gains. Lose to gain in faith in God. See, what it means to follow after Jesus, to be a mathetase, what it means is we... Get, we start to get comfortable with him making us uncomfortable. You know, in this last um, 13, 14 months, there's been a lot of challenging things that we've experienced as a church family. Some di uh, disappointments, difficulties, frustrations, losses that have been painful. People that we've loved, that we've lost. It's been a very difficult season. But there's parts of this season that I also thank God for. The Bible says, um, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds because it, it strengthens your endurance. Like a runner that wants to run a marathon, they start with just a few miles, then more miles, then more miles, then more miles. They're stretching their endurance. Sometimes the things that God brings into our life, it stretches our comfort level. It raises our discomfort threshold. 
Why? Because he's got things he wants to see happen in our lives. And so he's got to raise our willingness to walk through the things he calls us to. And so there's been things that, that even this past week, we find ourselves in a space where we're talking about, okay, in the coming months, what does it look like to, to uh, what will be eventually our plan to roll back COVID restrictions? And this is a, a worthwhile conversation because for us as a church, we have all different types of needs in our church. There's some of you that have been watching online for 14 months because there's high-risk people in your family that you, no matter what happens, your doctors have advised you not to come. Uh, others of you uh, are, are here only because of the COVID restrictions that we have of wearing masks and being socially distant and, and things like that. That's the only reason that you can come because we're trying to be careful. Others of you, we actually have a, a few of you families that um, are actually on the other end of the spectrum. It's that you could be here except wearing a mask is, your doctors told you, is not medically advisable for something um, in your physiology. And so some of you actually can't come because we're wearing masks. And, and thank you for sticking it out and continuing to, to watch online. But for the rest of us, these COVID restrictions we're doing, it's a discomfort we're doing out of love for our brothers and sisters here in our church and here in our city and our community. And so I thank God for stretching us in our discomfort and revealing where our discomfort threshold is. Because what I love about our church is our church is grow, we're growing together in being willing to, for God to make us uncomfortable for the things he wants to do in and through us together as a church and in our families. And so families in our church do things like rearrange their vacation schedule so that they can go on a short-term missions trip overseas to a place that needs the gospel. And then some come back from those mission trips and start praying dangerous prayers like, God, are you calling our family to pack up everything and move to a foreign land to be a missionary? Like some are actively praying right now. In fact, some are actually getting ready out of the City Rev Church family to go to a foreign land and serve um, as a missionary. That's actually happening in our midst, and I praise God for that. There's some in our, our, our midst that are saying, okay, how can we be willing to make ourselves uncomfortable? How can we rework our budget, freeing up more finances to fuel the mission, God's mission forward here in our city? Like, how can we be more generous and, and lose so that we can gain something that's eternal, something of far more value, something that has eternal value? How can we do that? And willing to get uncomfortable to follow after Jesus. There are some that are, are doing incredible things like looking at their homes and saying, how can we make space in our home to bring a child into our home and foster a child so that they're not left in a shelter with no home and no family? It's incredible being a part of hearing our stories of how God is calling us after him to lose in order to gain. In fact, I was actually convicted this week as we were talking through all COVID thing restrictions and when and how do we roll those back. And again, that's an important conversation. We want to do that with wisdom. But I was thinking, man, we've, we've spent more time, we kind of looked at each other and realized we've spent more time talking about masks than we have for the fact that there's 13 children just in Broward County, not even speaking to Dave, but there's 13 children in Broward County this week that have been taken out of their home and they're sitting at safe place waiting for a home. They're at a shelter waiting for a home to open up to provide a place of love for them in their deepest time of crisis. These are children. My prayer is that it's a Christian home 
that can not only just provide a place of safety, but can give them the message that their soul needs to hear of the love of God. And my hope is that it could be city rev families. And so here's what I want us to think about. What are the things in, in our lives? Maybe some of you, you've, he's walking you through something, a, a season of difficulty and discomfort, and you're losing faith. God, why are you doing this? But know at the other end, there's a gain. That's the promise. You're going to take your cross to follow him, but you're going to rise too. Have hope in the promise. But also, it may expose you where your comfort threshold is. He might be saying, no, I want to stretch you. And maybe you say, you know what? I'm not going to complain about this anymore. I'm going to move forward. Knowing that I'm, I might be facing something that I'm losing, that I'm disappointed by, but there's the promise of some kind of gain at the other end. I want to wrap up our, our time by, I want you to see a story of a mom that learned in this principle, an incredible story, learned this principle. She, she gave up some things, but gained so much more. Check out the story of a woman in our community. My name is Tamara Simmons, and I have been a foster mom with four kids of South Florida for four years. I met my foster daughter a year ago through a mutual foster mom whose caseworker asked her just randomly, do you happen to know someone who'd take a teen mom? <laughs> and she said, maybe. <laughs> and then next thing you know, they were calling me. I said, I don't do girls or toddlers or teens. <laughs> and they said, just meet her, just meet her, please. And I said, okay, I'll meet her. I loved her instantly. We just clicked, like right away. Like we just started chatting and we, we couldn't stop. And Roxana just climbed in my lap, which apparently she didn't do before. And we just went from there. And so then she came to my house the weekend before Christmas and spent one night. She lived all the way in Fort Myers. So I had to drive two hours, pick her up, bring her home, drive two hours, take her back, <laughs> drive two hours. So we did that. And then she agreed to come for Christmas. And she came on, I think the 23rd. And then we had Christmas and she was supposed to go home on the 27th and she said, I don't want to go back. And I said, I don't want you to go back. And that was it. We had to clean out a room, <laughs> make a room for her. So that's what we did. The last year for Sweet Girl and Peanut has been huge. Like they have just blossomed and I've seen them take so many steps forward. When they first came to live with me, they were very closed, very closed because there were a lot of girls coming in and out of that house and then getting homes or going home or, and they're just there for three years, just there. So um, since then, they have, especially Sweet Girl, she has started to really come out of her shell about school and education. She can kind of see where she has a future now versus turning 18 and being deported back to Guatemala. Like that was her only future. Now she can see, I need to get an education. I need to like have a life and like, she can say, can I go out with my friends? Will you watch Peanut? What time do I have to be home? She's learning boundaries and you know, just how to navigate life. She learned how to cook and you know, take care of her space and clean her own bathroom. And <laughs> it's good, it's been really good for them. And it took them a while to realize that they're home 
But now, every time we turn the corner from picking them up from school, Peanut says, we're home. <laughs> it's my house, huh, Nani? <laughs> yes, it's your house, baby. It's your house. You know, I used to say I'm never taking a teen, and I'm not taking a girl because they're teen girls, really. <laughs> like, who's doing that? But now, I'm like, this has been like the greatest gift for me just to have a teen girl. Like, she has just been wonderful. And I have completely changed my perspective on that because I've seen what having a good supportive home can do and how she could have ended up like a statistic very easily. That's where it was going. And then what would have happened to Roxana? Because that's where her mom was headed until she got a foster family that actually cared and wanted to impart into her life. It changes everything. love that story of a mom who mothers a mother. What a beautiful story. And you know, she, she laughs through that whole story. I mean, she starts by saying, look, I'm not taking a teenager. I'm not taking a girl and I don't do toddlers. God said, I got another idea. How about you take a teen girl with a toddler? And, you know, she tells that story. She, I love her joy. I mean, what a hero, this woman. She, she laughs through the whole interview. She can't help but just call these two girls, her nicknames, Sweet Girl and Peanut. And she laughs through the whole interview. But you know it's been hard. You know there's been difficulties and there's been pains along the way. But don't you see in her joy that all of those difficulties have melted away? All the losses have melted away to the gains by taking a bold, fearless step and following after the one who rescued her and adopted her into his family. That's what Jesus did. He adopted us into his family. We're children of God. And following him, you know what that means? It means that our stories are more adventure stories than fairy tales. Fairy tales have a momentary difficulty and then it's happily ever after with no more difficulties ever and they're easy to watch. Adventure stories are one death-defying moment after the next. And sometimes they're hard to watch. Jesus is saying, hey, if you're gonna follow me, I'm gonna warn you, it's not a fairy tale, but it is an adventure. He's calling you, I don't know what you're, what, Specifically, he's calling you to. Maybe he's calling you to push through this difficulty with the hope of gains because you know that that's the pattern of Jesus. He died and rose again. Maybe he's saying, hey, I take you through this difficulty, but why are you acting surprised? I warned you. I told you this would, but you got to know what's coming. Push through. Or maybe there's something bold and fearless he's calling you to do. I want to ask you to do something. Would everyone just take a second and just pull out your cell phone? Can everyone pull out your cell phone? If you're watching online, can you just take a second and pull out your cell phone? Go ahead and pull it out. Take a minute. Go ahead and open it up. Type in the code. And I want you to look at your cell phone. Just take a second. I want you to go to your, your message app just for a minute. Because uh, this is not fundamentally a foster care sermon, but it's not not a foster care sermon. 
And I think maybe there's some of you in here that have things that you're wrestling with that God might be calling you to do. But I think some of you in here, he might be saying, no, actually, this is your moment. I've been building you to this moment. I want you to consider taking a risky, dangerous step. And so what I want you, if you're feeling that stirring up in you, like maybe he's calling us to, calling me to find out more about fostering. You say, like, I can't do that. I can't, that's too difficult. I can't do that. I can't, how could I take a child in my home and then give them back? I couldn't do that. You're right, in, in one sense, you can't. You can't do that. But what, he's, what Jesus says to you is, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So maybe some of you just need to take one little step. If he's stirring that up in you a little bit, even just to find out, I want you to do this. I want you to, in, on your phone, I want you to text the word foster to 474747. Text the word foster to 474747. You're not signing on the dotted line. You're not saying, I'm, I'm in, I'm a foster parent. You don't know yet. You need to pray about it. You need to find out more information, but you can send a text message. You can respond and find out more. You can push in a little bit. You can take that step today. So if you feel I'm stirring you up, just text foster to 474747. Maybe he's calling you to do Take a, take a courageous step today. For some of you, the courageous step you need to take is it's actually just following Jesus. And you say, look, I, I've called myself a Christian, but Christianity's just been the religion that I kind of circle back to every now and then when I'm going through a difficult time or I just try and spink, sprinkle some Jesus kindness into my life or some Jesus morality. But no, that's not what Jesus said. He said, if you're going to be my follower, if you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to be a mathetist, it's conditional. If this is what you're doing, it's renouncing everything. It's full, full scale, wholesale surrender. That's what it means to follow me. And maybe you've been calling yourself a Christian, but you've never been willing to take that step of surrender. That's what it is. What did you lose to gain something even more? Maybe you take that step today and you fully surrender to Jesus. If that's you, I want to lead you in this prayer. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Just simply offer this prayer to Jesus. Just right now, wherever you're at, just silently in your heart, say this. Say, Jesus. Say this to him. Make these words yours. Jesus, I surrender to you. I know that you sacrificed for me. I know that you died and rose again. I believe it. And now I give you my life. I follow you in Jesus' name. If that was your prayer just then, you know, you've got your cell phone out. And if that was your prayer, go to cityrev.org faith. If you're watching online, there's a link right there on the screen that you can click. If you're here in the room, there's a QR code on the seat back in front of you. You can just take a picture of city, take a picture of that QR code. Go to cityrev.org faith. It's going to just ask you a couple questions because we want to give you a Bible, send you a Bible as you're beginning this incredible journey. So take a moment now and do that. Church, we're going to close with a song and be reminded that even though we're surrendering everything to him, even though we're taking, we follow Jesus and it's all or nothing, we're doing that because we know who he is. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's the provider. We trust that it's all in his hands. Let's celebrate that together. Would you stand with me as we close with the song? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. 
If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.